Let's go to the book of Philippians. We are in Philippians. Uh, back to that after taking a break for a couple of weeks and excited about our return. We find ourselves this morning in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, again, if you uh, will make your way to that chapter, um, if you don't know where Philippians is, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? That'll help you get there. So again, we find ourselves in Philippians. Today we're going to pick up where we left off last. We are in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Now we'll see if we make it to actual to 26, but that's our plan for today. We're talking about joy in Jesus. This is the theme in Philippians. Joy. Philippians has been, been called the happiest book in the New Testament. Now, you know my thinking on this. I would rather have joy than happiness. Happiness is based on happenings, and sometimes our happenings stink. Life sometimes is lousy. Sometimes it's just some bad stuff coming our way. And so that can affect how happy we are. But it should never affect the joy of a believer. And so we got the example of Paul, who's writing this letter to the Philippian believers those believers in the city of Philippi. And he's writing a letter to them to encourage them because they're concerned he's in jail. I don't know about you, but I imagine some of you are happy today that you're here in church and not in jail. I mean, just taking a guess. But Paul is in jail, and he's writing to the church. And he's trying to teach us something that regardless of our circumstances, we can be at peace and have joy. Now guys, that's a pretty important message for you and I to understand. Because I can promise you one thing in life. Suffering. There you go. Write it down. Pastor just promised us all one thing in life. Suffering. We will suffer at some point in our life. We'll either suffer through illness, we'll either suffer through a financial loss, we'll either suffer through circumstances uh, beyond our, our means. We will one day suffer death. Ten out of ten people still die. Just say it. So I can promise you that. So how do we navigate? So then what do we do? Well, again, Paul gives us some encouragement in this section of, of Scripture specifically in how you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, should live our life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I pray that you will hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How Christ came into this world to seek and to save sinners. We're all sinners. If you showed up at this church today expecting to find a bunch of perfect people, I got news for you. There ain't none here. <laughs> all right? And I'll start with me. All right? Um, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so, we know we need some good news because that's not very good news. We fall short of the glory of God. But God sent His Son into the world to save people like you and me. And if we're willing to turn from our sin and turn to Him... He's promised us forgiveness in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, his, his life of righteousness, Christ lived a perfect life. He's the only perfect one that ever lived. 
And he was able, therefore, to lay down his life for you and for me. He paid a debt you and I couldn't pay because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is alive. He's ascended into heaven and he's coming back one day. And he's coming back for those who put their faith and trust in him alone to save us. Guys, that's good news. That's great news. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, I invite you to check out the life of Christ. Look at him. Don't look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. Look to Jesus Christ. He'll never fail you. You will find in him exactly what you need to bring joy into your circumstances. Joy in Jesus. That's our subject this morning. And so uh, as we begin to look at this, um, this week in history, something happened. November 12th. It's kind of interesting because this was the same day. This is kind of a weird connection. But uh, we took, took my daughter to the uh, podiatrist, which they saw you, Ivy, but you was way in the back and you was working with somebody, so you didn't see them. But they saw you. But anyway, hard at work. And so at the podiatrist, she's getting her bunions looked at, right? And so uh, she's checking those out. Well, it comes home that day. Well, guess what? The same day was John Bunyan's anniversary. Kind of weird connection, I know. Uh, but we found out that um, John Bunyan, the 12th was the day that he was arrested, put into prison. Uh, and, and so my family, we do these little readings for homeschool. And so one of the books we've been reading was the, you know, the Pilgrim's Progress, right? That's, that's required reading in the, in the um, Varner School, uh, the Whitestone Academy, as we call it. And so Pilgrim's Progress. Let me give you a little bit of history on John Bunyan because it's kind of cool. Again, this week marked uh, an anniversary. Bunyan, for those of you who don't know much about John Bunyan, and by the way, it's not Paul Bunyan, okay? He's not the one cutting down trees. John Bunyan, he grew up... Uh, and, and as he grew up, he, he, was, he was one of these kids. He didn't go to church much, all right? Uh, he was kind of getting in with a bad crowd. And as he grew older, he kind of began to sink deeper and deeper into sin. One day he overheard some women talking about the Bible. So he kind of became interested, and he started reading the Bible every night. He learned from the Bible that Jesus died for our sins, and that only He can take away our sins. With a joyful heart, John Bunyan accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Bunyan began preaching right away. A lot of the churches at that time in England were not teaching the whole truth of the Bible. Well, Bunyan was. And because he told people what they needed to be saved, a lot of people started leaving the church and coming to where Bunyan was to hear the truth of the Bible. As you can imagine, this upset a lot of people. So, didn't bother Bunyan. He didn't stop preaching. He knew he couldn't stop. He wanted to please God rather than men. Because he did what was right, Bunyan was thrown into prison. Now, Prison back then, obviously, not like today. You didn't get cable, you know. You don't get color TV, air conditioning, all those kind of things. It was a, a, a lot worse in that day. And, uh, but you would think again, here's a man in prison, would probably be discouraged. Nope, not the case with Bunyan. 
Bunyan did exactly what Paul did when Paul found himself in prison. Remember Paul's journey through Philippi the first time? God rerouted him. He was wanting to go somewhere else, thinking that, hey, I've got to take the gospel over here. God came to him in a dream, rerouted him. Remember that story? Ended up meeting Lydia. Then he gets put in jail because he wouldn't stop preaching the truth of the gospel. And then the earthquake happened. The jail doors opened. The Philippian jailers are getting ready to kill himself because he's thinking all the prisoners have escaped. And Paul says, no, we're here. Ends up leading the Philippian jailer to Christ, and his whole household gets saved. Right? You all know the backdrop. Similar story, minus the earthquake and all that stuff, but check out what happened. Here's, here's Bunyan. I can imagine drawing from the experience of Paul. So what do I do in prison? Get discouraged? Woe is me? No. Bunyan began singing, praying, and reading the Bible. That became his source of strength in the midst of his bad circumstance. After a few months, he became sick, but he didn't give up hope. He was going to stay true to God no matter what. Bunyan's main problem in prison was finding something to do. So he began to write a story. He began to write a story of a man who came to know Christ just as he had. Bunyan made the Christian life sound like a journey on a straight and narrow road. For many weeks, he worked on the book. When he was let out of jail, he took the book to a printer to be published. He named the book Pilgrim's Progress. And it's one of the most read books outside of the Bible. If you have never read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to get a copy and read it. Um, but anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. This was, again, this week in history. This week in history. And, and so, um, and, and it overlaps, again, with what we're studying uh, here in Philippians. So, Bunyan, like Paul, found himself in jail. Circumstances are bad. But instead of focusing on the problem, he turned his heart and his focus towards the solution. Let me ask you this morning. What are you focusing on? Are we focusing on the problem? Are we focusing on the circumstances? What's got you kind of down today? What's got you distracted? What's got you, you know, gripped in the world today? Can I encourage you to shift your focus from whatever that is and find joy in Jesus. Let's look, if you would, as we read the Word of God this morning in Philippians 1, 19 and following. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always as now, also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. To depart to be with Christ, which is far better, the Apostle Paul says. 
But notice what he goes on to say here in this, in this passage. But if I live on the flesh, that will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to part to be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for the illumination of your word that as we look into your truth today, that you will make known the truth of this passage. What is Paul's desire in communicating to us today as believers as we look to your word? And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you have your way in this service. You have your way in us. That you will draw us near. That we'll hear what your spirit has to say to the church. Thank you again for your truth. Thank you again for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Paul writing in prison to the Philippians. Here's our outline today, if you're taking notes. We're going to look first at Paul's escape or his deliverance. Um, he started by saying he has confidence. He believes, I know, and we'll unpack that here shortly. Then we'll look at Paul's expectation. What's his desire? What's Paul say here is his desire? And then we're going to look at, thirdly, Paul's encouragement, which is discipleship. And so, again, guys, if, if we really capture what's at the heart of what's being communicated through this section of Scripture, there's no reason we don't go out of here transformed today. There should be no reason why you and I sit here today, hear the Word of God, looking into the mirror of God's Word, seeing who we are in that reflection and not being changed when we go out of here. So, here's the choice you face. Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. He was pressed between the two. Which shall he choose? I ask you this morning, what will you choose? Will you choose to be a hearer of the word only? Or will you choose to be a hearer and a doer of the word? May God have his way with us. Let's look at Paul's escape, Paul's deliverance. So... Here again, we know Paul's in prison, and uh, we notice in verse 19 of this passage, we see Paul makes the statement, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What, what does Paul mean? Well, again, we first see uh, his discernment. His discernment is, again, knowing who God is, knowing how God works, knowing the truth of God's word, He's able to discern. He's able to say, hey, in light of these circumstances, I, I know what's going on here. I know how God is. I know who God is. And so therefore, I know that this situation, this circumstance will turn out for my deliverance. Let me ask you, church, don't know what you're facing this morning, but how's your discernment? You know, too often times, that's the problem in our church today. There's no discernment. We don't know how to discern between right and wrong. We don't know how to discern between truth and error. And it's because we don't know the Word of God. 
We don't know the person of God in the sense that He desires for us to know Him. Too often times we make boneheaded decisions, don't we? I mean, there's a lot of times we, we kind of, you know, just step into it. And could have been avoided with a little discernment, with a little better understanding. Well, the Apostle Paul is living for Christ. He, his heartbeat, his life is in tune with who Christ is and what Christ desires. And my prayer for us, guys, is that we would find ourselves growing more and more in that direction. And so we also see here he speaks of this deliverance. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now this word deliverance can actually be translated salvation. I know that this will turn out for my salvation. Now, there are four possible ways to understand this word in its context. Let me give you this, this little note. If you have a MacArthur Study Bible, you'll see this written there. And, and, and I think he, he, he... I'm going to share what MacArthur says, and then I'm going to tell you where I land on it. He says, my deliverance. Deliverance is from the basic Greek term for salvation. But it can also be rendered well-being or escape. Now let's just stop for a second. If you were to read that with that in mind, for I know that this will turn out for my well-being. For I know that this will turn out for my escape. So, this presents four possible interpretations. Number one, it refers to Paul's ultimate salvation. Hey, whether I die or stay, I'm going to glory. Freedom! Right? There's a perspective for us, church. What can this world do to you? What can your circumstance do to you? It can usher you into the very presence of God. That's the worst thing this world can bring. Oh, wait a minute. That's the worst thing? If you know Christ, that's the best thing. No more pain. No more suffering. The glory of God enjoyed for eternity. There's some perspective. So, he says, for possible interpretation, refers to the ultimate salvation. Second, it alludes to his deliverance from threatened execution. Again, Paul's been threatened with execution. There's a potential trial. Okay? He's making an appeal to Caesar. How's this thing going to turn out? Three, uh, he would finally be vindicated by the emperor's ruling. So maybe he doesn't get execution. Maybe they actually declare him, hey, not guilty, you're free to go. Right? That still turns out for his escape, his deliverance, Right? Fourth, Paul is talking about his eventual release from prison. Whatever Paul's precise meaning, he was certain he would be freed from his temporary distress. Guys, can I tell you this morning, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your problem is, but I know this. It's temporary. It's temporary. We've got to get, instead of a short-term focus, we've got to get our eyes on eternity. If we live our life with eyes on eternity, then these short-term problems don't have as big an impact on our life. Now, again, I'm not going to about stand here and say that it's not going to have an impact. Of course it's going to have an impact. But it's not going to have the impact that the enemy of our soul would want it to have when we have eyes on eternity. Now, 
I believe here the idea in mind is, is Paul's well-being. And, and again, regardless where you land, it, 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 in the end it doesn't really matter, right? Because in the end it's still true that we will be delivered from these present woes, these present problems. For I know, Paul says, this will turn out for my well-being. How can Paul say that? Well, he gives us the answer. How? But how? How is this going to happen, Paul? How is this going to happen? Notice what he says next. This is how he will be delivered. Prayer. Notice what he says. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying that through prayer and the Holy Spirit. Prayer is your responsibility. Paul's saying, church, it's your responsibility to pray. And I have confidence, because I know who God is, that if you will pray, you will petition your Father in heaven, and if you ask anything according to His will and His good pleasure, we have the answer. And I know He supplies the Holy Spirit. That's God's responsibility, right? Grace upon grace. You and I have the privilege of prayer, church. How often times is prayer our last result, our last turn to? Now, we get in a circumstance, man, it's the first thing we go to, right? Paul has confidence in who God is. He has confidence in the prayers of the saints. Guys, can I say as your pastor, I, I, I can relate to Paul. I understand that I'm only able to do this ministry because of the prayers of you and the influence, inspiration, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, we who labor, labor in vain. But I also recognize, as Paul says, that when you have a praying church for the mission at hand, and we have the supply of the Holy Spirit, God be for us, who can be against us? God's will will not be thwarted. And we can rest in confidence because this is what Paul's trying to convey to this church. Guys, don't look at my circumstances. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you for sending the love offering. And I know some of you are concerned. You sent Epaphroditus. You know, he got sick. I'm sending him back to you. He did nothing wrong. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But guys, let me encourage you. This is part of God's plan. And sometimes life has problems, but if we know Christ and our confidence is on eternity, not on the temporal, then we can too say with confidence, God's will be done. And we can be content and have joy in that. The word here, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, again, it's the word uh, parakletos, which means one called alongside to help. Man, ain't you glad that God comes alongside and helps? He supplies the Holy Spirit, who in essence is it's like, you know, come on, I got you. I got you. He'll help you through the circumstances because who He is, because of His promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus said, I go away, but I must go away because then the Father will send another one who will help you. We have a helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. And as believers, He indwells us, He seals us 
with the promise of the day of redemption. You cannot lose your salvation because you did nothing to get it. God purchased it through His Son and He sealed it till the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can pluck you out of His hands. I don't care what the circumstances are. God is bigger. And we need to know this. Nathaniel Vincent said, Without prayer, adversity will be intolerable and prosperity will be a snare. Let that quote sink in for a minute. Without prayer, adversity will be intolerable and prosperity will be a snare. Whether you're here this morning and you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, guys, we need prayer. We need to pray God's will be done. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for your pastors. We need to pray for the leadership of this church. We need to pray God's will be done. Again, he mentioned this idea of supply here. And, well, let me give you some other passages first, too, before we talk about that. Ephesians 6, 18, for example. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Last uh, Friday night, we had a great devotion with Dr. Shook. And he talked about the importance of us putting on the armor of God. We're in a spiritual battle, church. That was a providential, supernatural, God saying, listen up, church, get ready, suit up, put on your armor. Are we suited up today? We need to be suited up daily. Because we have a real enemy... A, a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He roams this earth to and fro. And I'm going to tell you what he loves to do. He loves to stir up problems in families. He loves to stir up problems in government. He loves to stir up problems in churches. Because those are three institutions that God established. And when they're in right order, God ordained as the headship, they're a great force for the furtherance of the gospel. But what happens oftentimes in those institutions is we allow the enemy to take cheap shots. Fiery darts hit us. You recall our study in, in uh, Haggai. And we remember the three oxen and the importance of having each other's back. Paul's going to start to deal with a similar subject here in the, in the verses ahead of how important it is for unity within the church at Philippi. Why? Because he knows there's a real enemy. He knows that those attacks are going to come. Those fiery darts are going to shoot. And sometimes we end up being victims of those things. And we don't even realize it. And so I encourage the men this morning in our prayer time, sometimes we need to kind of push back from the circumstances, just like Paul's doing, and get a real perspective. Let's get eyes on eternity, not the circumstances. Let's look at eternity and let's see what's really going on here. And when I look at what's really going on here, that's not my enemy. That person's not my enemy. But there is an enemy who wants to distract us. There is an enemy that wants us to put eyes on the temporal instead of the eternal. And so we suit up. 
Praying always with all prayer. This concludes that, that suiting up of the armor. And this is one of the most important parts. This is the power. Right? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Jude 1.20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You want to build up your faith? Pray. Pray God's will be done. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Set aside my personal you know, request sheet for not my will, Thy will. Again, prayer is about not getting God on my page, but me getting on God's page. It's about me lining up under God's direction, God's will. And so Paul understands this, even though he's in prison, even though you know, he recognizes that in Philippi these believers are concerned, but he wants to encourage them that it's okay, guys. It's all right. Again, when it speaks here in this passage that through your prayers and the supply of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, you may want to circle that word supply. This word supply, it's where we get our English word chorus. Chorus. Very interesting. Uh, so the idea whenever a Greek city was going to be uh, putting on a special event or a special festival, somebody had to fit the bill. Somebody had to pay for the singers, the dancers. And so the donations called for to put on the event um, had to be a lavish, very, you know, um, generous expense, and it had to be provided for. So to provide generously and lavishly is what this word supply means. To provide generously and lavishly. Paul was not depending on his own dwindling resources. He was depending on the generous resources of God ministered by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it cool to think about whatever your circumstances, whatever you're facing, God has given you prayer as your responsibility, but He supplies what you need for prayer Himself the Holy Spirit of God, generously, lavishly. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. He loves to give his spirit liberally. And so again, we're encouraged. Uh, Paul is wanting them to know that in spite of circumstances. You have the supply, guys. Untapped, oftentimes because we choose not to pray. And it's an inexhaustible well source. I encourage us all that we might pray. So, uh, we see this happening here. Paul could face life with the assurance that nothing that happens to him surprises God. This is what he's wanting, this is what he's wanting us to know. This is what he's wanting those believers to know. That no matter what happens, he had confidence. He knew this because he knows his God. And I want you to have that same confidence today, guys. Regardless of what should happen, you can face life with the assurance that nothing that happens to you surpasses God. That's helpful. 
You know, it's kind of like I was thinking of an illustration. Uh, again, I appreciated y'all's kindness uh, to uh, my pastor, uh, Bob Freitas, and his wife, Karen, were with us uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, I, as I was studying this, I, I thought of, you know, when you think about God knows all things, right? He knows how it's going to turn out it, no matter what's going on, right? He's all-knowing. He's the sovereign God. He's, and so and those illustrations are lousy. <laughs> Anytime we're trying to try to explain God through an illustration, it's just woefully short. But, but this all hit me. It was kind of like my wife and I. So, so Pastor Bob McCarran used to, we used to, you know, play Rook. That's, for those of you who don't know what Rook is, that's Baptist poker. I'm just kidding, it's not. Um, but we used to, we'd get together and play Rook. So when they were in town, they said, hey, last night, let's get together, we'll play a game of Rook. So we got together and play a game of Rook. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're playing. And, and uh, I don't know if you've ever, for those of you who've played Rook, you know how when you take the kitty and you see, oh, and it's got all the trump colors you need to win the hand, and you're sitting there and you're looking at your hand and you've got like the Rook, the One, the 14, the 13. Now, if you don't play rookie, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But trust me, this is like awesome hand, okay? And you're sitting here, and all you got to do is a little simple math. And you say, oh, I so got this. You know you got this before you even throw the first card. And so, you know, you're playing, oh, I will lose one. I will give up a trick, a, a play, because I know I've won the hand. So it doesn't bother me to lose this one. Because I've got confidence, because I can do math, and i got confidence that I'm going to win this hand. So it doesn't bother me. Oh, you just captured a one. Ooh, you got points. Oh, we're going to put, we're going to set you. They don't talk junk like that. Well, they do a little bit, but that's usually after the fact. But anyway, and, and so you can play with confidence. Guys, can I just tell you? We can play with confidence. God's won the hand. If i got to give up a trick... In the middle of it, no big deal. Because in the end, we won. we got to get that in us. Because that enables the confidence to face life. That's not arrogance. That's certainty. That's assurance. That's evidence of things that hope for because we got the confidence in who it is. We know. We can do the math. Right? So, again, Paul is trying to instill this kind of confidence to the believer. And I think he would want us to have that same confidence today, especially in a world where who's won the election? We don't know. What's going to happen next? Well, what's going to, you know, and there's all this uncertainty and then circumstances that you face with health and marriages and problems and so forth. Again, we may lose a trick along the way, guys. God's won the hand. Keep your eyes on eternity. So, we see next Paul's expectation, his desire. Notice what he says. So he, he says, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance. I know it's going to turn out for my well-being. And that's what I believe he's saying. I think it's, he's referencing, hey, I, I, this is going to turn out for my well-being. Um, Through your prayers, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing... I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. We see here Paul's care. You see his expectation. Notice uh, Paul's care, his expectation. The word here means when he says, he says, um, I, I, you know, 
According that in nothing I shall be... I'm sorry, back it up. According to my earnest expectation. This word, earnest expectation, it's, it means to stretch one's neck out, to look past something close to us, to get an eye on something further away. To stick out one's head past something close by to get perspective on something far away. Think about that. Paul has an earnest expectation. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's, he's potentially going to die. He's looking at suffering. Oh, Jesus has got this. I know how this one ends. That earnest expectation. That's his future hope. What's your future hope? Oh man, I, 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 hope, I hope my guy wins the election next time. I, 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 hope, I hope I get a better pay increase this year. I, I, hope, I, I hope this situation will pass. I hope I get relief. I hope... Wait a minute. Oof. I hope, Lord, I'll honor you with my life. I hope when that final breath comes that I'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't need to neglect, but I definitely don't need to forget. What's my purpose? Paul's expectation, his desire, his care, we see it here. We also see his concentration, his example. Notice what he's concentrating on. He's not concentrating on the fact that he's in jail. He's not concentrating on the problems, the woe is me at hand, right? He's not filled with the drama from his mama. He's looking at concentrating on something of substance. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He's hoping that in nothing he that he'll be ashamed. You know, he wrote in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation. How many of us here this morning are ashamed of the gospel? Oh, you say, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But yet, you don't bring it up in conversations with your co-workers because you don't want to offend. Your neighbors have no clue that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because you've never bothered, oh, that's personal. I don't, I don't want to create an awkward situation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to whosoever believes. Why would we keep that a secret? Why would that be private? Why would that be hidden? Your house is on fire. I know a way out. Follow me. That would be love. Oh, honey, the house is on fire. The neighbors, I it's three in the morning. You know, I really don't feel like knocking on the door because they're probably sleeping, and I would hate to wake them. But that's how we kind of live, isn't it, sometimes? Or we're ashamed because, oh, I just don't, you know, it's already awkward enough, and I don't want to be made fun of. I don't need people picking on me. I, 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 you know, I don't want to damage this relationship because I bring up Christ. That, that gets a little awkward. 
Paul said his desire is not to be ashamed. He also said, but to be bold. Maybe in part of our prayer in, God, in our prayer life, guys, is that we would ask God to help us not be ashamed of the gospel and to ask us to be bold. Ephesians 6, 19. Um, again, we looked at, at 18. Let's, let's just go ahead and, and, and turn back over there and let's see what, what he says after that 18 passage. Ephesians 6, 19 says this. So again, he's put on the whole armor of God. He's asking us to pray always in prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, right? Regardless of what comes, praying supplication for all the saints. And then look at verse 19. Paul says this, and for me. Oh, now that's just selfish. Paul, you shouldn't ask prayer for yourself. Of course not, guys. Paul recognizes. Anytime you're sticking your neck out, it's going to get chopped off. Guys, can I just tell you, when you see pastor putting up a post on social media asking for prayer, please pray, okay? I'm following a biblical example. Paul knew in circumstances that he needed, he needed, he, he knew that this would work out because he had confidence in the praying saints. When a pastor, when a, when a, a, a leader like Paul, when somebody, if, if, if we can't pray for one another... You, we, got, we got folks sick right now. We got folks who... Can you imagine how they would feel if they, if, if they thought we weren't praying for them? We pray for one another. And we need to encourage that. And we need to spark that. Because, guys, let's just be honest. That is the toughest battle we face. And so what happens here? He goes on, he says, that, and for me, what is Paul asking specifically to pray for? He's asking specifically that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul's expectation and desire is not to be ashamed, but to be bold. Bold with the gospel. To be able to open our mouth and actually make it known. And guys, that is a, that is a, a prayer for, for all of us. We need that prayer in this day, this age, more so than ever. Then we see uh, also Paul's expe expectation and desire. We see his concern, his exaltation. Not of self. It's not Paul who's exalting self. It, he's, but Christ's exaltation and magnification. Notice what he says in the text. He says, uh, again, here in Philippians 1, he says, uh, verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always is now, also Christ will be magnified in my body. Magnified in my body. He goes on and says, whether by life or by death. Whether by life or by death. Hmm. I wonder this morning, when we think about our life, our purpose, we think about our circumstances, what is our, what is our expectation? What is our hope? 
can we not look at Paul's example? Who's following, I believe, in this situation. He's the most Christ-like in this as we can see. His prayer, his hope, his expectation, his desire is that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. Psalm 34, 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Church, that's our, that should be our desire. Magnify the Lord with me. Are we magnifying God? Let me ask, is your life magnifying the Lord? Paul desired to have his body act as a magnifying glass for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an illustration. Johnny Hunt writes this, Does Christ need to be magnified? Now you see here, you don't have to be a homeschooler to see there's a microscope and a telescope. Right? They do two different things. Keep this in mind as we read through this illustration. How can a mere human being magnify the Son of God? Well, the stars are much bigger than the telescope. And yet the telescope magnifies them and brings them closer. The believer's body is to be a telescope that brings Jesus Christ close to people, to the average person. Christ is a misty figure in history who, who lived centuries ago. But as the unsaved watch the believer go through a crisis, they can see Jesus magnified and brought so much closer. Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beg you, brothers, I beg you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable, right? This is your reasonable act of worship. Is your life magnifying God today? If people look at us in our circumstances, what are they seeing? Do they see Christ magnified? The telescope brings distant things closer and the microscope makes tiny things look big. To the unbeliever, Jesus is not very big, right? To the unbeliever, he's not very big. Other people and other things are far more important than Jesus. And I'm afraid that too often times, church, we live as if other things are bigger and other things are more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ is not magnified in a lot of people who sit on pews Sunday after Sunday. But as the unbeliever watches a Christian go through a crisis experience, he ought to be able to see how big Jesus Christ really is. The believer's body is a lens that makes a little Christ look very big and a distant Christ come very close by life or by death. For if we live... We live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Romans 14, 8. Paul says here in this passage, 
he says, for, for uh, after that uh, hope and expectation, his desire is that um, he, would have, he would not be ashamed and that we have boldness and that also Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me ask you this morning, fill in this blank. If you tuned out, tune back in. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I want you to fill in the blank this morning. For me to live is blank. Be real before God. For me to live is money. For me to live is retirement. For me to live is my kids. For me to live is my grandkids. For me to live is my spouse. For me to live is my future husband, my future wife. For me to live, what is your life? For me to live, what am I living for? I, I, can, I can BBS it. Jesus. Look, guys, is that, do we go in automatic pilot? Our actions betray us. For me to live is what? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Man, can you imagine, church, if we caught this example, we actually caught the biblical message that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's that lens. Our life's to magnify Christ. It's to bring Him closer. It's to make Him bigger. And so we need to do some hard inspection. Paul was at a point in this passage that he says, for me to live is Christ. He knows that he is, he's He's facing potential death, the execution, and he says, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because think about this for a second. If the greatest gift that God could ever give is himself, and it is, because if God by definition is the greatest thing, and he is, then the best thing he can give you is himself. Which is why he sent himself, took on the form of a man, incarnate, the second of the Godhead, the God's Son, the fully man, fully God, and He took our penalty. He offered the greatest gift He could. Himself. And so if you and I have by faith received the gift, if we have by faith received salvation, we have been born again, not from anything here, but from above. And that promise of the Holy Spirit is sealed within us. And so that third in the Trinity, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He motivates us. He prays for us when we don't even know how to pray. And so He's given us His Word to navigate us. Our life should be consumed with Him. Now, I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand and being uh, all spiritually minded and you're no earthly good. But guys, we hang on to that little catchphrase to keep us oftentimes from doing what we're supposed to be doing, and that's just sold out surrender to Jesus Christ. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to Him.
So Paul says, verse 22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Now think about this for a second. I want you to stop for a second. What do you do when you're faced with a decision? What do you do when you're faced with a decision? Oh, come on, folks. You know what we do. We do a pros and cons list, right? All right, let's put it on paper. We're going to do a pros and cons. What are the pros? If I take this job, if we move here, if I go to school, we do a little pros and cons list, right? If you don't, you need to do a pros and cons list. Paul, it's biblical. Paul does a little pros and cons list right here in this section. Notice what he does. He says, but if we live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? Hmm. Emoji. Hmm. I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed. Again, this idea of a very narrow in between two rocks and you just kind of straight away. Uh, he's pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Right? That's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. There's a Christ-like example. You see, we by nature are selfish people, all of us. But Paul here shows the heart of God in selflessness. Man, it would be so much easier just to go on and be with the Lord. But you know what? That's, that's not going to be needful for you. Uh, you know, yeah, it'd be great. I can just imagine experiencing the glory there in, in, the, in its realness. But I need to experience that glory now in continuing in furtherance of the gospel. That's more profitable for you. He's showing selflessness. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He, he, we're going to find this. Again, He's going to get into this great passage in a little while of how He empties Himself in, in the sense that He takes on the form of a man, Right? No greater humility is shown and grace is shown in selfless love. Paul is arguing here when he does his pros and cons list, you know what? Forget me. You're my concern. You know, joy has been said, it's Jesus, others, you. Right? Jesus first, others Second, you, last. It's a priority order, and Paul has that, and he exemplifies the very heart of God, I think, in this argument, in this, in this pros and cons, if you will. Well, let's press forward because time's getting away. So, uh, we see here, uh, again, that um, he, he desired to um, have folks magnify the Lord. And so, now we see Paul's encouragement in his discipleship in the closing part here. So what do you do when you're, again, you're faced with this. Well, he says, look, I want you, number one, I want you to have confidence. Verse 25, notice what he says. And being confident of this, what's he, what's he confident about? Uh, well, again, you got to go back and, and see what he was just talking about. He knows to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knows if he lives on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. So he's confident of this thing. He, he, you also see his continuation in this. He says, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue 
with you. And then we see the cause. All for your progress, spiritual growth, and joy, inner peace. What does he mean by that? Well, he desired to be released that he might once again minister to the Philippians so that they could progress in faith. He's saying, look, if I stay on this earth, I don't go to be with Jesus, then, then this, is, this, is, this is going to be helpful to you because I'm able to pour into you. I'm able to teach you the truth of God's Word. I'm able to disciple you. I'm able to help you grow in love, in knowledge, in obedience, and in fruitfulness. And as they progress, then they will have the joy of their faith in Christ. Paul wanted these Philippians to experience joy. Do you realize, guys, that to progress in your faith is to progress in joy? Let me say that again. To progress in your faith is to progress in joy. The problem in our circumstances is that we're immature. We need to grow. And a lot of times, trials and tribulations come for our testing. And if we'll let them have their way, it's to produce perseverance. It's to produce growth. And if we'll let it have its way, it will make us complete in Christ because we learn not to depend on ourselves, our answers, our solutions, but we learn to depend on the power of Christ, the Word of Christ. And so Paul knows, hey, if I stay, this is to your benefit. Because it allows me to continue to raise you up in the faith. To, to teach you. Spiritual growth and inner peace. Guys, can I tell you this morning, that's exactly what God wants to do at Community Baptist Church. He wants you and me to grow in Christ. He wants us to grow in inner peace. That's why he didn't just say, go make converts. He said, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've taught you, right? So this is our commission. Paul is living out the commission. He understands his mission with his focus and that's why he responds the way he does. Note, joy comes to the Christian as he's progressing in the things of Christ Jesus. If you don't have joy in your life, Progress in Jesus. That's your answer. If your life, the wheels are coming off, it's because God's wanting you to abide in His Word and therefore let His Word abide in you. And as we attach, stay attached, because He's the one that does the attaching, we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The circumstances don't go away, but praise God, our attitude changes, right? Our perspective changes. That was my neck squeaking, by the way, you heard there. We provide sound effects here every Sunday. So, and I can use logic. God gives me logic. Here's some logic. To not progress means what? <laughs> to regress. If I'm not progressing, I'm regressing. And regression produces depression, discouragement, which is nothing but the lack of inner joy. As someone said about the word joy again, Jesus first, other second, you last. So then let's finish this out. Complete. 
What is Paul saying here? He says, I want you to be complete in Christ. Notice verse 26. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So, in other words, he's saying here, I want you to be complete in Christ. Christian, God wants you to be complete in Him. If you're lacking this morning, your completeness is found in Christ. So that because of my coming to you again, Paul says, your boasting in Christ, Jesus, may abound. That's, that's the CSB translates it that way. Let me read that again. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ, Jesus, may abound. Because when you're in a good Bible-believing teaching church, you're getting fed a steady diet of the truth of God's Word. Like a newborn desires milk, they begin to grow because they're feeding on a right substance. Ain't that right? Little man got a bottle right there. He's just going to town on it. He's growing. And guys, that's what we do when we feed on the Word of God. When it's a steady diet, when it's a healthy diet. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, if I come back to you, man, I got stuff I'm going to teach. Listen, I know what God's doing. I know what's... And so he's teaching, and he wants them to be complete in Christ. Man, I'm, I'm going over today, but you know what? It's God's time, so just enjoy. Conclusion. Paul's escape, expectation, encouragement should serve as an example to us all. Look at his example. He's in prison, facing death. What's my trouble? (laughs) I mean, really, what's my trouble? Regardless of your circumstances, rejoice in Christ. Live for Christ. Die for Christ. Be complete in Christ. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what your trial is, your tribulation is. But I remind you with the very word of God. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for a church family that prays. Lord, thank you for the praying saints. There's many in our midst, many that aren't able to be here right now due to health reasons. Lord, we want to pray for them. Lord, ask that you as the ultimate physician would place healing upon their body, comfort their heart. Many of them watching uh, via uh, the internet or uh, online, Lord, just meet with them. Encourage them this morning. I know they would rather be here. Paul would rather have been there with the Philippians than in jail, but yet at the same time he recognized that his eyes would be set on eternity. And my heart and prayer this morning is that those watching, those that are here today, regardless of the circumstances, that our eyes would be on eternity. Help us to have the perspective that Paul had. Let us follow his example as he followed Christ. 
And Lord, encourage us today as we look to you, we look to your truth, that by growing in our faith, that will produce joy. Spiritual growth is what we all need. We never stop learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's an inexhaustible well. You're constantly chipping away at the rough spots. And sometimes you do that through testing. Sometimes we face trials. But Lord, I'm thankful that in the midst of those storms, you bring peace and you calm the sea when our heart and mind is complete in you. Be complete in us today as we look to you. And Father God, again, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> Guys, thank you all again. Uh, enjoy the evening. And we'll see you back here, Lord willing, Wednesday night for Kids Club. Uh, until then, be blessed.